So once again, finding a sitting posture where you're upright and also relaxed, coming into that sense of stillness, presence, some sense of ease in your posture. Sometimes it can even help to rock back and forth slightly or forward and back slightly so that we can find a place where we're really centered in our sitting or our standing. Even if you're lying down, there's a way of slightly adjusting just to make sure you're balanced. And if it's comfortable to do so, you can close your eyes. Bring yourself into your direct inner experience. The body. The breath. Mindfulness, the awareness of knowing that we're here. The Buddha gave an image of different animals to describe the way the mind can feel when we first sit down or when we're distracted, when we have many of these visitors in the mind. And if the animals, the different animals, are all bound together with a rope and a big knot is tied in the middle, then they just start pulling toward where each animal wants to go and the strongest one brings all the other ones. And he said that with mindfulness it's like putting a stake in the ground so that we just stay here in one place even if the mind has inclinations in other directions. So we can use the direct experience of the breath, the body, as that anchor and the mindfulness, the knowing that we're here as a gentle way of not wandering off so easily.
natural that the mind will have various thoughts or emotions, wanting, not wanting. Maybe the body is getting a little bit sore from sitting and so there's some aversion to that discomfort. Or we still have some busyness or thoughts from something that was going on this morning. Or an idea of what we need to get done later. These are all normal. We can stay anchored in the simple experience of the body, the breath, the mindfulness. As we sit with our body and mind as they are now, it can be helpful to notice some particular tendencies in the mind. The tendency toward wanting, toward not wanting. It doesn't matter so much even what we're wanting or what we're not wanting. We just notice the um, tendency in the mind to want or not want, and we could just label it gently as that.
also generally notice the energy level of the mind. If there's a sense of dullness, tiredness, or if there's a sense of restlessness, those too can just be noted dullness or restlessness there are times when the mind feels uncertain. What should I do next? Or why am I doing this? Little movements of doubt. Just to gently note these tendencies of the mind. They're visitors, nothing more. They're not who you are. If they're seen, they're not even problems. of the time we can perhaps just rest in the direct experience, the breath, the body.
this simple act of seeing what the mind is doing and releasing it if it's not helpful can occur many times in a sitting. Each one is valuable. We can appreciate each time we see clearly some movement of the mind and return to the simple direct experience. It can be a moment of appreciation along with that.
we may come to appreciate the inherent ease of mindfulness. Even if we have a few visiting animals in the mind, pulling in different directions, there's something about simply being present that has a quality of restfulness to it. Even if the body and other parts of the mind are not totally at rest, just having some appreciation for that. So, I want to talk a little bit about seeing these things in the mind. In the sutta that we're looking at, this retreat, the Buddha calls these things imperfections of the mind. Kind of like stains on a cloth, for example. I want to say, though, that Seeing imperfections, so-called, in the mind is actually an indication 
that mindfulness is working. So it's better to see these things than not to see them. And the ones that I named in the sitting were the five hindrances of, I called them wanting and not wanting, but traditionally they are sensual desire and ill will, and also sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry, and doubt. Those are the five hindrances. So it's actually important that we be able to see these in the mind when they are occurring. But it's not about judgment. And I I like to um, bring in the example of a a restaurant in Japan. There's a restaurant there that's called the Restaurant of Mistaken Orders. And it's called that because um, all of the staff members, all the waiters and waitresses, um, have dementia of various kinds. And the owner deliberately created this restaurant and employed these folks so that they would um, interact with people coming into the restaurant. And it's understood, it's just right up front, that your order may not be correct. (laughs) You may get something different, uh, or it may come later than you thought. Um, And that's, um, people know that when they go there. And so it just becomes part of the experience, part of the atmosphere there. And people laugh and enjoy it and find it to be such a meaningful experience because all the pressure we put on ourselves about getting it right and having perfection and all of that is just explicitly not there at the restaurant of mistaken orders. Um, It's a wonderful kind of expression of vulnerability and acceptance. And we can have that same attitude about our own mind. We do see um, when there are these things present, um, but they don't have to be any kind of a problem. As soon as we see them, bring them into awareness, make it part of the experience, it's fine. It's fine. So with that as a warm-up, I am going to read the um, the full list of imperfections that are listed in this sutta. Um, There are many different lists in the teachings of challenges that we have in our mind, (laughs) lists of things that make us not free, and the five hindrances that I named are a a common one. But there's many others. There are the, the three poisons of greed, hatred, and delusion. There are the fetters. There are the underlying tendencies. There are the floods, um, so we won't name all those lists, but there, it just depends on the context. The Buddha brought up different lists of problems. So in this sutta, we have a list of 16. Um, let me just read them because they uh, have a certain impact. So he says, what practitioners are the imperfections that can color the mind? Covetousness and unrighteous greed is an imperfection. Ill will is an imperfection. Anger, resentment, contempt, insolence, 
envy, avarice, deceit, fraud, obstinacy, rivalry, conceit, arrogance, vanity, and negligence. Wow. So, I kind of like that list um, because it's so human in some ways, but it also just makes it clear, you know, all the different strategies that these things sort of employ in the mind. There's come in many different forms. Um, so we don't need to worry about these in the sense that they're inherent, they're part of us, remember there are these visiting defilements, but we do need to note them. Um, and then the good news in the simile of the cloth is that the effect of seeing these and knowing that we've seen them is that the mind gains confidence. Does that sound surprising? But that's what it says, and it's true in that we we have some sense of the process. When we know that these things are present in the mind, we know that mindfulness is what has enabled us to see them and therefore be slightly not caught up in them. Then there's a sense of understanding that the practice works. That's how it can work. That's the seed from which all the other good qualities can grow. So as it says in the text here, when a person has known that ill will, or any of them, when a person has known that ill will is an imperfection that defiles the mind and has abandoned it, even in part, that person acquires unwavering confidence in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So, we're going to talk more this afternoon about confidence and how it can come about from seeing uh, these challenges in the mind. And we'll even talk about joy, which is the next thing that comes up in the sutta. So, um, but for now, we have lunchtime, and, or break time, depending what time it is in your time zone. And we'll take, um, we'll take about 45 minutes until 1.15 here, 15 after the hour. And let me offer some brief guidance for um, moving through this uh, period of taking care of bodily needs, whether it's eating or anything else you'll be doing. So it is helpful to use mindfulness of the body. I think G alluded to that in the very beginning about how that's such a good support so when we go through our daily activities, like lunch, or really any time of day, um, we can reduce the intensity and the frequency of our thoughts and concerns and all those 16, <laughs> list of 16 things that can come up, simply by being grounded in the sense of the body at that moment. At the very simplest level, we can notice what posture we're in. Notice if you're standing, if you're sitting, if you're walking, or you're lying down. Just those four, those are easy to notice, and that is a movement of mindfulness. But more simply, you know, even a little more refined, we can notice what we're doing. We can notice that we're lifting, or we're cutting, or we're spooning the food to the mouth, or we're tasting. 
simple um, noting of daily life activities helps keep the mind more present and steady and balanced. You can notice your feet on the ground. That's also a grounding kind of um, thing to be aware of. So I hope you'll um, kind of play with mindfulness of the body over the next period. And I look forward to seeing you back at uh, 1.15, 15 after the hour. Be well.